It's been nearly a year in the making, and here we are. Welcome to the debut episode of a new movie podcast experience, The Revisionist Almanac. Pop the champagne and let the fireworks begin. I'm delighted to have you here, wherever you're listening from around the globe. I'm Andrew Corns, joined by my good friend and my co-host, Adam Hitchcock. Adam, how are you? Doing good, buddy. How are you? I'm good, Adam. I must say you look so beautiful and so hip today, clearly appealing to our younger demographics. <laughs> Got the visor on. I'm in the college football spirit. I'm ready to go. That's right. Okay, and we'll also be joined by a special guest for every episode. And when Adam and I were outlining the show way back when, six, eight months ago, there was really only one person we had in mind for our debut show, and surprisingly to us, we actually got him. So he is the host of Best Picture Cast, one of the most acclaimed movie and Oscar podcasts you can find anywhere on the planet. Please join us in welcoming the incomparable Kieran B. Gentlemen, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here on this maiden voyage of the Revisionist Almanac. It's been about four years since I launched Best Picture Cast, so... I remember well the feeling of the first episode, and it is uh, very exciting to relive it here with you guys uh, on on the the pilot here for Revisionist Almanac. It should be no secret to anyone listening right now, if you listen to Best Picture Cast, which I'm sure most of you do, Adam and I are big, big fans of the show over there. And like I said, when it came to who was going to be our first guest, Kieran was top of the list and we got him. So, so this is going to be fun. Just as a refresher, we're going to be covering six categories every episode. Those will be Best Picture, Best Director, and the Four Acting Awards. These are generally the categories that generate the most debate among friends, movie nerds like us, the social media community. We're going to be looking back on select years each episode with the luxury of hindsight and, of course, the help of our online votes to determine what will go into the Almanac as the true winners. And, of course, we're not here to waste your time, so let's get right down to business, guys. We had our guest help with the selection, and Kieran came through with what I think is a tremendous pick to kick things off. We're going to start the episode with the 2010 year-end movies, culminating in the 83rd Academy Awards ceremony, and if you know, is the King's Speech taking the crown. Up first, we've got Best Supporting Actress. Here were the nominees and the winners that year. You've got Jackie Weaver for Animal Kingdom, Amy Adams for The Fighter, Helena Bonham Carter for The King's Speech, Haley Steinfeld for True Grit, and your Oscar winner, Melissa Leo, for The Fighter. Now, we're going to wipe the slate completely clean. We're going to start fresh. Kieran, it's up to you. You can pick any supporting actors from any film released in 2010, regardless if they were nominated or not. So over to you. You give us your nominees, along with your pick for who should have won and why that actress got your vote. Okay. I'm going to give you my nominees and my winner. From the, uh, that's, that's the deal? That's it, yep. Nominees and the winner, and then who's your winner and why? All right, so my nominees are Mila Kunis from The Black Swan, Amy Adams from The Fighter, Melissa Leo from The Fighter, Helena Bonham Carter from The King's Speech, and Diane Weist from Rabbit Hole. So those are my five selections there. And uh, as I kind of told you guys off mic, this was the category I, I really went down to the wire as to who's going to get the award and ultimately i decided to give it to miss helena bonham carter for the king's speech 
Um, I was tied up between her and Amy Adams there at the end. I really wanted to get Amy Adams that trophy because she's well overdue for it. But when I think about these characters and how they impacted their respective movies, uh, I, I don't think anyone did so more than Helena Bonham Carter. I think she was the heart of the movie. Uh, she was a catalyst for a lot of the character work that went in there. And uh, she's a, a wonderful actress who put on a uh, performance of a lifetime in the in the somewhat limited material they gave her in, in the King's Speech. So to me, I'm, uh, I'm happy to give the trophy to Helena Bonham Carter for the King's Speech. Now, something tells me that might not be the last time we're the King's Speech out of Kieran's mouth. We'll see how this thing goes over the next couple of hours. But uh, strong choice for sure. She was obviously up for an Oscar. You give her the win. I love that stuff. Adam, how about you? Who are your nominees? Who's your winner and why? I want to start off by saying this category sucks. With all due respect, the, this was a bad category. I struggled to come up with five. I really, um, I struggled. I have most of the same lineup as Kieran here. I had Mila Kunis for The Black Swan, Amy Adams for The Fighter, Melissa Leo for The Fighter, Helena Bonham Carter for The King's Speech, and I had Haley Steinfeld for True Grit. I did go with uh, Bonham Carter much like Kieran did for the King's speech. Wow. Not to tip my hand, but that might be the only time I say the King's speech tonight. So I wanted to, uh, <laughs> to give it some love. I felt like the movie deserves it to walk away with something from me. It was between her, Amy Adams and Mila Kunis for me. I didn't even want to nominate Ms. Lisa Leo, to be honest. I, I could have gone with four for this category. I think it's a very weak category. So I decided to give the King's speech some love. I did not see you two aligning on the very first category, so this is a big shocker to me. And Kieran, clearly by your face, you're as surprised as I am, I think. Take the wins where you can get them. All right, well, I think this is going to get really interesting because we're up to my picks. Here are my nominations. I've got Amy Adams and Melissa Leo for The Fighter. I've got Marion Cotillard for Inception. I've got Michelle Williams for Shutter Island. And I've got Haley Steinfeld for True Grit. So Helena Bonham Carter does not make my top five. She's not in my nominations. And then as for my winner, I felt at the time, I still feel now 13 years later, the winner should have been Haley Steinfeld. What surprised me about Steinfeld in 2010 and revisiting it now 13 years later, she's in a movie absolutely stacked to the gills with award winners and legends across the, the board. And when I think of True Grit, I think of Haley Steinfeld first and foremost with her acting job, especially being 13 years old at the time. To me, it's a no-brainer that she has has kind of held up over the last 13 years as a phenomenal actress. And it all kind of started at True Grit. And it blows me away what she did at that age. So I've got Haley Steinfeld as my winner for Best Supporting Actress. Can we respond rebuttal Please, yeah. Let's open the floor up a little bit. What do you guys think? Okay. So I agree with everything you said there, Andrew. Um, it's a wonderful performance. It's, it's, uh, it's an Academy Award caliber performance. My issue is, is that she's not a supporting actress. She's the lead actress in that movie. And the Academy has this bizarre method of just because they're kids, they're supporting. They did this with River Phoenix in, in his career. His, his lone nomination was in a movie where he's clearly the lead, the movie, the movie's about him. Everything is, is there circling around him. And same with Haley Steinfeld here. How is she supporting this? She's on the screen for almost the entire movie. So it hurt me to, to exclude her here, but I entered her into the eligibility for lead actress. So we'll see if she comes up there for me, but uh, a, a great performance. 
Yeah, I, I don't know, Adam, where you stand on that, but I, I think obviously this is going to play out in the 2023 race with Lily Gladstone and Killers of the Flower Moon. To me, she's more of a supporting actress, and obviously she's going to be petitioning for lead. But but sometimes there's those roles that are kind of tweeners, you know, where it's hard to define lead versus supporting, especially if it's a big ensemble cast. I kind of felt like Steinfeld. Obviously, I think she, like I said, she stands out to me as the most important part of that film. But because there's such a breadth of, of actors in that film, to me, she's just one component of it. And I don't know if I felt her as a lead, but I, I completely understand where you're coming from on that standpoint. Yeah, you're singing music to my ears here. Um because the Academy kind of defines it as like there's one lead in a movie and then every other actor actress is supporting. It doesn't matter. And I don't understand that. Um, like for my awards that I do for the streaming circuit and the circuit first, go follow us on Twitter. Shameless plug. I take like, who is the lead actress in the movie? I don't care if there's an actor that's above them, they get lead and then everyone else is supporting. But so Viola Davis, for example, in a movie I love air is in consideration for supporting actress this year. But she's clearly the lead actress in that movie. She's the only actress that gets any lines in that movie. So, yeah, I agree with you that Steinfeld probably should be a leading actress. But I put her in this category because I wanted a nominator. And it's a very weak category. Totiard was my first cut, though, Corndog. Um, so she was in consideration for me. Yeah, what about you, Kieran? I know we all kind of have a, sort of a cut list. Who's right on the bubble just missing your cut? Uh, you know, I, if this was... One where I also, Adam, I kind of struggled to get to five. Uh, you know, Cotier is a, is a good choice. Yeah, I, I can get behind that. I don't have a slam dunk sixth, to be completely honest with you. I will say, as I teased before off mic or leading up to this event here, guys, uh, the worst movie that I watched for this podcast here, it was from this category. And uh, it, worse than... Uh, Twilight Eclipse, Adam. There, because yes, Animal Kingdom. Oh, okay. Was just uh, oh, just a just a, a brutal affair. Um, this pseudo uh, crime grungy. Th- no, it was a horrible movie. I I I hated every second of it. And Jackie Weaver, who I love in Silver Linings Playbook. No, that was a stretch. Getting. I'm assuming you that. haven't seen the Animal Kingdom television show that the movie spawned. Uh, the American version recently. Correct. I'm higher on Animal Kingdom than you, for sure. I I think there's a lot of cool performances in that film, but I can definitely understand where not everyone would be on the same wavelength. Uh, Really quickly, just so you guys know, Helena Bonham was my first cut. She was my my sixth on the power rankings. I think she gave a really good performance. I noticed, obviously, none of us aligned exactly with Melissa Leo and the Oscars that year. What do you guys generally just think about Melissa Leo's performance? Do you have a huge problem with her winning, or do you feel like because the category wasn't particularly strong, her winning isn't a super egregious error the way some others have been? I've seen this movie a few times. I still don't even, like, if you put a gun to my head, I don't know if I'd tell, I could tell you which character she was. Like, she left such a non-impression for me in that movie. I think it's crazy that she won. I, I, like, Amy Adams just acts circles around her in that movie, in my opinion. I would. I mean, I don't feel as harsh about it as Adam does there. Uh, I thought she was fine in the movie. I thought Amy Adams was the better performance in the movie, but I don't think it's super egregious. No, but I would have gone with with the, with the nominees that they had. I think it should have maybe gone to Amy Adams or or Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah, I'm definitely with you guys. I have Amy. If I had to pick one or the other, Amy or Melissa, I'd go Amy over Melissa for sure. I don't have a huge problem with it, but uh, I definitely think there were better performances that year. 
Just as a kind of a recap to everyone, this will obviously, after it airs, go up on a poll on social media. We're going to let everyone that's listening, the fans, decide who goes into the Almanac. So when the poll goes up, you're going to have three choices. You're going to have Melissa Leo. You're going to have Helena Bonham Carter that Kieran and Adam picked. And you're also going to have Haley Steinfeld. So there will be three options for the online poll and Best Supporting Actress. And we'll find out which of these three ladies goes into the Almanac. All right, let's jump over to the next category. We've got Best Supporting Actor. This year, the nominees were Mark Ruffalo for The Kids Are All Right, Jeffrey Rush for The King's Speech, Jeremy Renner for The Town, John Hawks for Winter's Bone, and the winner that year was Christian Bale for The Fighter. Adam, you're going to go up first on this one. Who are your nominees? Who's your winner and why? All right, so my nominees were Christian Bale for The Fighter, Tom Hardy for Inception, Jeffrey Rush for The King's Speech, Andrew Garfield for Social Network, and Jeremy Renner for The Town. And I feel like I'm going to surprise you guys here. I went with Jeremy Renner for The Town as my winner. I absolutely love Jem in that movie. I think it's a great movie. And here's a hot take. I kind of teased Corndog with this a while ago. I think The Town is the best Boston movie ever made. Not best set in Boston. I want to be very clear. There are better movies that are set in Boston, but I think The Town, having spent a lot of time in Boston in my life, growing up fairly close to Boston, that movie just nails Boston. And Gem, there's a gem on every street corner. Now, I'm not saying there's Ahmed Ka robberies in Southie every day, but like Gem is such a great Boston character. I love his work. I will stand by Jeremy Renner forever for winning this award. I think Kieran has some thoughts on Jeremy Renner. We'll come back to that. <laughs> so I'm up next. I've got, uh, here are my nominees for the Best Supporting Actor category. I've got Christian Bale for The Fighter. I've actually got Michael Keaton for The Other Guys. I've got Mark Ruffalo for Shutter Island. I've got Andrew Garfield for The Social Network. And Adam, just like you, I've also got Jeremy Renner for The Town. Uh, this this was a this is a three horse race for me. It came down to Garfield, Christian Bale, and I'm going to throw out the wild card. Michael Keaton was very much in contention for me. I know that it's going to probably create some eye rolls between the two of you, but I think that comedy so often gets overlooked in Oscar ceremonies. And when I see a really cool comedic performance, it stands out to me. I thought Michael Keaton and the other guys is just hilarious. He's my favorite part of that movie. Ultimately, though, I do think the Academy got this particular category right. I think that uh, what Christian Bale does with Dickie Eklund, I think it's transformative. I think it's such a special performance. What, what he gives, he immersed himself completely in the role. And it's impossible for me to picture anyone else that's ever acted playing Dickie Eklund after seeing Christian Bale. So for me, it was a no-brainer. He was my winner. Okay, so my nominees are Christian Bale for The Fighter, Mark Ruffalo for The Kids Are All Right, Jeffrey Rush for The King's Speech, Andrew Garfield for The Social Network, and John Hawks for The Winter's Bone. Uh, so I, I went with a lot of chalk here, as you can see, and uh, I will do so with the winner as well. I selected Christian Bale to win this award. A lot of what Andrew said, it's a, it's a wonderful uh, transformation of character, and I consider this in the upper tier of Best Supporting Actor wins for uh, the history of the Academy. And uh, I'm very, very happy that Christian Bale is an actor who is a winner and not just a nominee. All right, Karen, let's circle back really quickly. Jeremy Renner, where do you stand on him? 
the town is the best Boston movie ever. Where do you stand on that hot take? I mean, I'll, I'll, as far as the best Boston movie, I don't really necessarily know what that means. Um, but I, it, if I really narrowed it down, I don't think it would be the town. I think Jeremy Renner's nomination for the town is one of the worst in Academy history. Uh, I think he is over the top bad, bizarre, and just, yeah, it, it, that that performance does not work at all for me. If I'm being really frank, um, the movie doesn't really oh work my for God. me either. Uh, I really... I realize it's a 90 percenter on uh, Rotten Tomatoes and that's a an unpopular opinion. But I going back to this pseudo gritty crime wannabe heat movie uh, it doesn't work for me. Animal Kingdom didn't work for me. The town didn't work for me. I, I don't like this little 2000s genre that popped up here at this. It's 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 a it's a big old bore for me. So, Adam, let's open the floor for you. Defend the town. So many bad takes just broke my brain. I don't even know where to start. So what I mean by best Boston movie ever is I think there are much better movies set in Boston, like Goodwill Hunting or some other things are better movies. But I think the town just captures what it feels like to be in Boston so well. Like Ben Affleck, he's walking around with the Bruins jacket and the and the Red Sox shirt and Jem's got the Celtic tattoo on his neck. And it just feels so Boston to me from the time I spent there. So that's what I mean by that. I think there are better movies set in Boston for sure. This award, like I was choosing between Bale, Garfield, and Renner. Those are my top three. And I just think Renner is great. You talk about comedic performances. I think he's really funny in the town too. Like he's so unhinged and so crazy and sadistic, but he's also really funny. Like whose car we taking? It was like a, was such a big quote for us in college. Every kid in New England always quoted that whenever you left the dorms, whose car we taking? Like, it's just such a, I don't know. I for me, it's maybe it's more of a personal pick for me, just because I'm kind of from the area and I, I love Renner, and I think it just is great. So uh, Christian Bale, I think is a great choice. I have no issue with him winning, but that was my reasoning. Do either of you guys take umbrage with me throwing Michael Keaton in there for the other guys? I know that was like a way off the board pick. I'm curious where you guys stand on comedic performances. If you want to come at me for Michael Keaton, feel free. The the floor is yours. I mean, I, I like Michael Keaton. Uh, I like the movie. Uh, it, it it's not like the Academy's never done something like that before. Uh, you know, I guess the bridesmaids would be an example. Uh, so no, nah, it's a, that's a, it's a fun little kind of fifth place choice. Now, if we start getting into him winning, then, you know, that, that, that gets a little bizarre, but um, no, I, 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 yeah, I don't have an issue with it. I have a, in another category coming up, I have a comedic performance, so I don't have any issue with that. He didn't really come to mind for me, honestly. Uh, but I don't have an issue with it. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt from Inception was my uh, first cut. Hmm. Okay. What about you, Kieran? Who just missed your cut? Uh, you know, I, I I thought about putting in uh, Adam's guy, Miles Teller, uh, for Rabbit Hole. Um, he just didn't do enough, though. He, he kind of just missed it. He was he was playing it a little safe in that role for me. Uh, I will say I'm to this day shocked that the Academy missed on Andrew Garfield uh, for a nomination. Uh, I really am. Um, it was right there for him. And it's a great, great performance. His freak out at the end is, is so great. It's iconic. I'd say that's one of the, the worst aged nomination misses of the last 10 or 15 years. I don't know about you guys. seems like you're, you're aligned with that for sure. I really wanted to pick him. Yeah, I really wanted to pick him, but uh, my heart overtook my head there. The one, I don't think any of us have, 
I don't think either of you guys mentioned it. The one who just missed the cut for me, I almost had Matt Damon sneaking in for True Grit. I thought he was a really fun character in True Grit. Not quite as good as Steinfeld, which is why she was my winner pick, but I thought Matt Damon was pretty fun in that movie, for sure. So, as we recap this category, it's it's clearly Adam against the field. Uh, Adam, is, Adam is on an island. He's got Jeremy Renner. Kieran, myself, the Academy, we're all on Christian Bale's side. So when it comes to the voting poll, you've only got two options here. You can go with Christian Bale or you can go with Jeremy Renner for Best Supporting Actor. So those are going to be your two options. Yeah, I'm going to lose that one. I'm going to call that right now. I'm going to lose that one. It's not looking <laughs> good for you. I don't, I don't feel very confident, Adam. <laughs> Let's move on to our third category now. This is going to be Best Actress. Winning that year was Natalie Portman for Black Swan. The other nominations went to Michelle Williams for Blue Valentine, Annette Bening for The Kids Are All Right, Nicole Kidman for Rabbit Hole, and Jennifer Lawrence for Winter's Bone. It's my turn to kick things off this time, so let's dig into it. Here are my nominees. I've got Natalie Portman for Black Swan. I've got Michelle Williams for Blue Valentine. Another off-the-board pick for me, I've got Lubna Azabal from Incendized. I've got Annette Bening in The Kids Are All Right, and I've got Nicole Kidman for Rabbit Hole. So quite a, quite a bit of my picks were straight from the nominations that year. At the end of the day, much like supporting actor, it's hard for me to argue with Natalie Portman winning. I think she was the deserving winner that year. Almost the exact same argument I have for Bale, I've kind of you know put on the board for Portman. I think she she transformed into the role, the the amount of effort she put before, you know, kind of learning all the moves and everything. It paid major dividends with what happened on screen. I just think that there's there's so much in that Black Swan performance that has stuck with me every time I go back to it. I find a little bit more that I'm impressed with. So so Natalie Portman gets my vote, kind of hands down in this one. I don't think I don't think there's a lot of other people I would even put in contention. Though I do have to say I appreciate Kieran for for throwing Rabbit Hole at me. It was one of the movies that just missed me kind of getting around to during my research. And I only got to it in the last week, and I, I was blown away with Nicole Kidman's performance in Rabbit Hole. Not nearly as good as Natalie Portman, but I am happy that Kieran told me to watch that movie because it was definitely something to check out. So, Kieran, let's jump over to you. What do you got for, for Best Actress this year? Okay, so my nominees for Best Actress are Natalie Portman in The Black Swan, Michelle Williams in Blue Valentine, Julianne Moore in The Kids Are All Right, Nicole Kidman in Rabbit Hole, and Haley Steinfeld in True Grit. Uh, my winner is the same as the Academy and as Andrew. It is Natalie Portman. I came into this wanting to give this award to Nicole Kidman because I, I think any other year it's a it's a it's a performance that could certainly win. But I rewatched both movies, both movies I had not seen since theaters. So this was a there was a long gap in between uh, first seeing them in theaters and seeing them for this project. And what Natalie Portman does in Black Swan is undeniable. Uh, it's one of the more unique uh, Academy Award winning performances. She does all the work off the screen. She brings everything out on screen. It's uh, an incredibly powerful performance and a, a well-deserved uh, win from a great actress. Adam, are you going to uh, allow the first person into the Almanac or are you going to go with something different? Let's find out. Make it a clean sweep right off the bat. I have there Natalie Portman uh, for the Black Swan. She's my winner. The other, uh, yeah. history. the other nominees I have are Michelle Williams from Blue Valentine, Emma Stone from Easy A, Ellen, now Elliot Page from Inception, and Jennifer Lawrence from Winter's Bone. 
Um, Winter's Bone, what a tough movie to get through. Holy moly, that was the worst movie I watched for this. Um, I think Emma Stone's fantastic in that movie. She's so funny, and she's just a brilliant actress. I love what she does in Easy A. And Ellen Page was then Ellen Page. I kind of off the board nomination there, but I think that they made that movie work because that movie is so heady and so sci-fi and just so beyond the grasp of what an audience member can even think of. And we needed that character as the audience surrogate to explain to us what was happening and make it um, digestible for us. And I think Paige just did a fantastic job. So that's why I nominated them. Um, but yeah, echo what you guys said, Natalie Portman, just incredible performance. And I'm always drawn to more physical performances over, you know, the more subtle sitting in a chair acting, uh, capital A acting, if you will, that's fine and great, but I'm always drawn to the actors that, you know, can do it physically and, and leave a mark. And if you told me the girl from star Wars did that, I would have been like, you're fucking nuts. So bonus points for her. Also, just, just kind of touching upon Natalie Portman and really kind of a larger question about Darren Aronofsky. It feels like he always tends to draw really impressive individual performances. Obviously last year, Brendan Fraser won for the whale. Mickey Rourke famously came really close to winning for the, for the wrestler. What do you guys think about Aronofsky as a filmmaker and his ability to kind of extract these really impressive singular performances from people? Uh, You can't deny the performances that he's gotten out of, uh, out of, out of some of these people. Uh, a few wins in there, some nominations. Uh, you also have uh, in Requiem for a Dream, Ellen Bernstein's nomination there too. Probably should have been more nominations in that movie. I think he's a he's a super solid director. Uh, I think he might be a, a tier, a, a smidge away from a great director. I don't think he's quite there. It seems like his movies have a little have a little trouble reaching that level of complete. You know, they always seem to kind of be missing something, but. Uh, I I do think he's uh, got got some impressive filmography up there, and and these performances again are undeniable. Yeah, I think he's great. I mean, I thought the whale should have been nominated last year. I think he's a fantastic director who brings out the best in his performers, and I think Black Swan is his best work. I mean, I haven't seen all of it, but um, from what I've seen, that's that's I think the best movie, definitely my favorite of his. I would agree with that. Yeah, it's it's up there right alongside The Wrestler. I've always been a, a big, big fan of that. I thought that that movie, what Mickey Rourke did in it, with obviously so personal to him, uh, always been impressed with that one. But yeah, I'm kind of with you, Kieran. I feel like Aronofsky's got enough duds in his catalog that it's hard for me to really put him in that top tier. He's got the the Noahs of the world and the, the Fountain and some of these really weird abstract things that he just he doesn't have enough consistency for me to really kind of be among some of the greats. But uh, hard to deny what he's done with actors over the years. I will say, headed into the last category here, you guys certainly are seem to be way higher on these Inception performances than I am. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, to me, Paige is just a is just an exposition machine machine in that movie. Uh, I, you know, Hardy's I, Hardy's kind of an outside the box nomination. I, I I don't mind that there, and I guess I get it with Marion Cotier, but I I don't know. To me, that movie is so much more about the production than the than the performances themselves. Oh, I totally agree with that. I don't think the acting across the board is fantastic. Um, and I have a little more on that too, as we get into a different category, I'm going to talk about that a little more, but I just think what page does. And also I kind of struggled. I mean, Rebecca Hall was my first cut for the town. So like, I didn't really want to put her in to be honest, as much as I like her in the movie. I just think page makes that movie work. I don't, I don't think it works if the actor, whoever is playing that role can't 
adequately explain to the audience what is going on and make it believable. I just think that movie becomes tenant at that point. Like that, like that's the character tenant was missing to be like, okay, audience, this is what's happening. And she's explaining the dreams. So that's why I gave it to her. It's probably more of a writing nom, honestly, than what she does, but I think she did it well, or they, they did it well. I should say. I'll be honest. I didn't even have page on my board on my power rankings list. I, I don't know why I'm, I'm, I'm a little higher on Tom Hardy's performance and then Cotillard, I think did a fantastic job, but I'm kind of with, with you, Kieran, on the, on the larger picture of Inception. I think it's much more a, a construct of all the technical stuff behind it as opposed to individual acting performances. So that, that's kind of where I stand on that. I, I am happy. I think all three of us had Michelle Williams in Blue Valentine on our nominations list. She came probably the closest to me to maybe pipping Natalie Portman for the, for the crown, but I think that, I don't know, I think Portman was, was kind of miles ahead of everyone else personally. It's a super strong year for for the lead actress category. Uh, it was five pr- really good nominations. I flip flopped Julianne Moore and Annette Bening, but I easily could have gone with Annette Bening. Yeah, and too. I really like Adam. You going way off the board with Emma Stone. I, I feel like it was that your comedy, your comedy nomination you were tipping. Yeah, I think she's fantastic in that movie. It doesn't hurt, you know, that I saw that movie when I was what fourteen, fifteen. Pretty formative for me. Um, so that doesn't hurt at all. Um, I I just I think she's fantastic. She's such a great comedy actress, and I, yeah, I, I, I mean, Portman was a lock for me. There was no, no way I was going to move off of her, but Emma Stone, honestly, is probably my number two. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with that. I mean, it, it's no surprise to me when we were first kind of putting this together. I was, if I had to put money on one, one particular category where we all aligned, I thought this would be the one. So this one doesn't even have to go to an online poll. Natalie Portman took the actual Oscars that year, and then all three of us picked her as well. So Natalie Portman can officially say she is the first person in the Revisionist Almanac as the Best Actress of 2010. Now we're going to jump over to the Best Actor category. This one, we've got Colin Firth, who famously won the gold statue for the King's Speech. The other nominees that year were Javier Bardem for Beautiful, James Franco for 127 Hours, Jesse Eisenberg for The Social Network, and Jeff Bridges for True Grit. Kieran, it's going to be back over to you on this round. Who are your nominees, and who's your winner? Okay, so my nominees for Best Actor are Javier Bardem in Beautiful, Ryan Gosling in Blue Valentine, Colin Firth in The King's Speech, James Franco in 127 Hours, and Leonardo DiCaprio in Shutter Island. Oh my god. You got to be shitting me. You got to be shitting me, Kieran. Okay. Sorry. You, your, your turn. Sorry. My bad. My winner here for this one, this may surprise some people because when we're doing our revising of Almanacs, you know, this had this person won, I think the Academy might have wanted to do some revising themselves. But I am giving the statue to James Franco for 127 hours. It is uh, to be a completely... Well, I mean, I guess that's but it's an on an island uh, a performance. He's really just has nothing to work with. He's uh, he doesn't really have much of a cast outside of the the beginning part with Kate Mara, which is uh, a, you know surprisingly very rewatchable part of the movie. I guess it's not surprising compared to the rest of the movie. But it, it, to me, he's he's really just he's he's alone in a room and he's making this character work and. I I totally lose the James Franco of it all. I forget I'm watching James Franco and I'm 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 in there with this guy and it's I'm, uh, he's making me feel the claustrophobia. He's making me uh, 
feel the emotion and the frustration and you know from when he drops the the pocket knife all the way to when he finally releases himself uh, it's to me it's a wonderful performance and i i was at the time was so all in on this winning and uh you know it, listen i i love Colin, what Colin Firth does in the king's speech as well i could have easily gone that way with the academy but to me this was my uh my time to take a stand and give the award to James Franco for his performance, not his uh, off-the-screen antics. I love it. I think uh, this one's going to be a really polarizing uh, category when I get to, when we get around to me. But uh, let's see where Adam ends up. <laughs> I'm upset. I want to just. I, I just want to defend be my. I know what you're clear. upset about. I was waiting I for some <laughs> fire in this thing. Yeah, there it is. Okay. All right. I'll just I'll do my thing and then I'll, I'll attack him. Okay. So I have uh, my nominees. I have James Franco for 127 hours. I have Colin Firth for The King's Speech. I have Leonardo DiCaprio for Shutter Island. I have Jesse Eisenberg for The Social Network. And I have Ben Affleck for The Town. My winner is Jesse Eisenberg for The Social Network, obviously, because it's a brilliant performance. And it's it, he just encaptures this alien living as a human among us in Mark Zuckerberg perfectly. He, t- he has to talk a million miles an hour in this movie in every scene he's in. And I just think he's just incredible. Like, I think it's one of the best performances I've ever seen in my life. I absolutely love Jesse Eisenberg's turn here. As, as for the James Franco of it all, I'm probably going to lose us listeners already. Um, just to be clear, the first episode. Going forward, I don't give a shit what a human being does off the screen. I don't care if they murder 100 people. It doesn't matter to me. I'll vote for Kevin Spacey. I'll vote for Jonathan Majors. I don't care. What I'm watching on the screen is what the award is for. And, if, you know, so I'm sorry if, if the listeners don't like that. That's just me. I have no problem with James Franco being recognized here. It's a great performance. But, man, to not have Eisenberg even nominated. God damn. That is tough. Kieran, before I even jump in, why don't you defend your, your snubbing of Eisenberg a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> he was my sixth place here. Uh, but I... I I think this is a really, really overrated performance. To me, he is just, he's, listen, he's line reading with the best of them. He's up there firing away the Sorkin dialogue. But at the end of the day, to me, he's really just line reading throughout this whole movie. It's a, it's a, it's kind of like a, a courtroom drama in disguise. And it's da 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 of real emotion. I guess that might've been part of what they're going for with the character, the kind of on the spectrum nature of the character, but I need, I need something else. And, and what, what really did it for me, this, this watch was the scene of him in the end, like, you know, scrolling through his friend, requesting his ex-girlfriend, I, that doesn't land for me. He, he doesn't land that for me. And if that's supposed to be the point of the movie, that's where the lead actor has to, has to come through and make a connect. And I think if you look the the rest of his, uh, his filmography. I, I don't think he's really done anything else that's that's worthwhile or unique enough to prove me wrong. Adam, back to you. I I, I feel it, like you uh, need some space to it just <laughs> to battle here. It just breaks my heart. Like I don't like it, that's the point though. He's not supposed to be. Have you have you heard Zuckerberg talk? Like this dude is not Shakespeare. Um, you know he's he's a weird dude. And I think Eisenberg. You know he is line reading. Sure, but I mean when he says if you were the inventors of Facebook. You would have invented Facebook. I think that's one of the uh, such a great line, um, and he delivers it perfectly. And I think you just feel the loneliness of it, which I'm going to talk about more when we get into the big category. 
Um, but I think he just perfectly portrays someone. To me, he is social media. He is, and he is the embodiment of social media, his character. And I think he nails it perfectly. And, and I do want to just clarify again, he was sixth place for me. I don't, this isn't like the town, the Jeremy Renner in the town situation. Like, I think it's a, <laughs> a good enough performance. It's, this is a strong year, but these other five performances, Ryan and Gosling is soul crushing in Blue Valentine. He was my sixth, by the way. Gosling was my sixth. Okay, yeah. And and to me, and I'm not a Ryan Gosling guy. I'm really not. I've, I I give Joey R. hell all the time, complaining on saying that he's overrated. But this performance really sold me on him. Javier Bardem in, Be- in Beautiful, again, uh, just an otherworldly emotional performance. Uh, Colin Firth, I'm sure there's more to talk about there. And then Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio on Shutter Island, which is he's doing so much in that film to make that film work. Uh, it really it relies on him. So it's these are these to me are five really strong performances here. So to be a six six place looking in isn't the worst place to be. Don't coddle me. Don't coddle me. And I played nice too, Kieran. I I nominated Colin Firth. I was like, you know what? I'm going to be nice. <laughs> going to put him in there. You just hit a you just hit a nerve though. Ryan Gosling overrated because Corns and I had an argument because I said I don't know a month ago I said. Gosling is a great actor who ha- who doesn't have a an overly great filmography, is what I said. I don't think he's been in amazing movies, and 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 Corn just jumped down my throat for that. And was like he has the best filmography of the 21st century. Yeah, if you like Drive and A Place in Between the Pines, I mean, he's. I'm not with him in those two movies. I think he's not good in either of those movies. So. Uh, we, we don't, let's Uh-oh. I don't just fire it off hot takes like a machine gun <laughs> over here. But uh, I haven't seen Barbie yet, to be fair. I have not okay. seen Barbie. I'm like okay. the only person in the country. You're not missing much. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, this is without a doubt one of the more stacked categories I can think of in, I don't know, the last couple of decades, quite honestly. I was, you know, as I've done all a bunch of research on this, this category, I probably could have easily swapped five or ten different people, you know, depending on the day. So, this one I really kind of came down to probably this morning where I was well, I was kind of waffling on where I was going to go. Ultimately, though, here are the nominations that I've gone with for 2010 Best Actor. I've got Ryan Gosling for Blue Valentine. I've got Choi Min Sheik for I Saw the Devil. I've got Colin Firth for The King's Speech. I've got Leonardo DiCaprio for Shutter Island. And then I've also got Jesse Eisenberg for The Social Network. At the end of the day, though, I've been chewing and biting my tongue for weeks, as Adam alluded to, battling. Uh, Ryan Gosling, for me, is so amazing as an actor. And just because he's done a ton of smaller, more independent stuff that I don't think a lot of people have seen or, or given him time to, to, to watch, it doesn't mean he's not just been cranking out amazing roles. I actually think Blue Valentine's his best role by far. Agreed. It's, it's such a 360. Wow. It, there's so much to that character. And because they're constantly bouncing back between the two different time frames you're really getting this full picture of this character all of the different evolution of, of a human being over a period of time you i don't see i don't see ryan gosling in the film especially in the the second part of the timeline he is he becomes something different it, it just blows me away every time i watch the movie for me ryan gosling was the pick there were a few good options i, I like eisenberg quite a bit i like leo and shutter island quite a bit i even think colin firth he gets a lot of crap by the online people for his win, but I think he's very much deserving of a nomination. But Ryan Gosling's my pick, absolutely. Yeah, great, great drunk acting from Ryan Gosling. In that oh, movie. tremendous in the hotel and everything. Yeah, yeah. something that's easily botched. Uh, I think 
I think the 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 internet gives shit more to the to the picture win than the actor win on Firth. I'm sure he gets some. Yeah, I would but, say that's true. But yeah, uh, so you so after all that, you guys all had Firth in there. I thought you guys were going to get tough. And uh, I'm I love Colin Firth quite honestly. I think he's got a lot of better films than The King's Speech. Personally, I, I like him in A Single Man, which is him playing kind of a, a closeted homosexual person in the '60s. I I think Colin Firth has quite a bit of a range. But uh, yeah, he's got to be in there. He's he's a great actor. It was a hard performance with the stuttering. I'll give him that. If I knew we were playing Dirty Pool, though, I would have left him out. If I knew we were playing Kieran Rules here, I would have been, you know, I would have just, just despite him, I would have left him out. But uh, it's, it was a good performance. I will be curious to see what happens with the social media backlash, perhaps, to none of us picking Leo for Shutter Island. That seemed to be kind of in the... You know, when, I'm, when we were asking questions of people online, Leo and Shutter Island kept coming up over and over and over again. Obviously, we all had him as a nomination. None of us picked him to win it. Is there a particular reason why you think he was good enough to be nominated versus actually being the best performance? Is there anything that held him back compared to who you have winning? Well, is it in his, is it in his top five of his career? I don't know. If it isn't, then we can't, we can't give him the win. I don't know. He was, uh, he was fifth place for me. In okay. this. He was the one that just... Uh, just bounced Eisenberg just because I thought he he did a little more for his film. But I, I don't think that that's a I don't think that that really compares to the other four performances. I think it's an easy fifth place for me. I'm with you, Kieran. I mean, I think that a lot of people look back on Leo in 2010 and because he was in Inception and Shutter Island, they kind of smush him together and just remember his greatness collectively, where I don't think Shutter Island has anything so amazing about it. I think he's much better in Wolf of Wall Street and Maybe even yeah. Revenant. I'll say it quietly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, say it proud. Say it proud. Us Rev, the, the, the Revenant voice needs to be. A <laughs> That's right. Okay, so, so Colin Firth, uh, obviously the winner from the Oscars that year, but we've got three other people for the online community to choose from. You can choose from James Franco, who was Kieran's pick in 127 hours. You can pick Jesse Eisenberg, Adam's pick from the social network. Or you can go with Ryan Gosling in Blue Valentine, who was my pick. So Colin Firth, Franco, Eisenberg, and Gosling are going to be your four options when we get to the voting. Should be a very interesting race there. I'm I'm curious who's going to come out of that one. I think it's going to be wide open. So we'll definitely it won't be see. Franco. I can promise you it won't be Franco. I'm not winning any of these. So. Not everyone's like yeah. Not everyone's like me. They're not going to vote for him. I want to talk about Franco for a second because even though I didn't have him as my nomination, I do think he's he's a tremendous performance. And if this was Almost any other year, he's maybe my winner, quite honestly. I think it's a really great performance. I saw the, I saw the film in theaters years ago, blown away by it. Uh, rewatching it, I was impressed with the pacing of it, everything about that film. So, yeah, James Franco, tremendous actor. Yeah, I don't know anything about the personal stuff. I just know that he's canceled, so uh, I'm sure someone's upset about it. So, yeah, that's, you know. Same. I, I don't know, and I don't care. I don't care what he did. Good performance, and and if we if we were doing this like MVP voting, honestly, like in sports, I probably would have voted for Franco to be honest. Because even though Eisenberg, I think, is a better performance, th- that movie is Franco. Like, there's there's five minutes where there's another actor on screen. It's just him and a rock. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a chamber piece completely. You know. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got two categories left. We're gonna now jump over to best director. I think this one's gonna be quite interesting. The nominees that year were Darren Aronofsky for Black Swan, David O. Russell for The Fighter, David Fincher for The Social Network, the Coen brothers for True Grit, and winning that year was Tom Hooper for The King's Speech. Adam, you get the first shot at this category. 
who are your nominees and who's your winner? All right. I'm glad I'm going first. I actually changed my pick about 10 minutes before we hopped on. I had my pick set from day one that we incepted this podcast. I had my pick set and I just changed it. So my nominees were Darren Aronofsky for Black Swan, Christopher Nolan for Inception, Tom Hooper for The King's Speech, again, playing nice for Kieran. He didn't get the memo, but I, I played nice. Uh, David Fincher for The Social Network, and gonna gonna piss you guys off, I have Ben Affleck for The Town. I think it's a great movie. My pick is Christopher Nolan for Inception. I had Fincher from day one. I've always thought, he, you know, if you can put in a competitive robot scene set to a Christmas uh, song in the middle of a social media movie, I just think that's just God-tier directing. But I decided to go with Nolan because if, if you look at a movie in three aspects, writing, directing, and acting, like let's just say those are the only three things you look at. I think for the social network, you would rank those in that movie as writing was the best and then acting, and then directing, in my opinion. And with Inception, I think you have to go directing is the best, and then writing, and then acting. So that's why I switched. I wanted to give Inception some love. I think it's a fantastic movie. Maybe Nolan's most iconic, not his best, but maybe his most iconic for what it did. So I I went with uh, Nolan, and I feel bad for my boy Fincher. I screwed him there, but... I'm not going to lie, Adam. Uh, this has completely thrown my game off because I was, <laughs> I was 100% certain that you were going to pick Fincher. Me too. And I, I have always kind of used strategy in planning my picks, knowing that these were going to go out to social media polls. And you may have just completely thrown my whole game off, but I think I'm going to stick with it. So let's see what happens. <laughs> okay. I'm definitely going to just come out and say it. I think the Academy blew this category so badly with who they voted as nominations versus who was on the board. I still can't wrap my brain around Tom Hooper winning this award. I'm going to tip my hand to that. I don't even know how he gets a nomination. And I think you should, I think, I think they should take his <laughs> Academy alone for making the movie cats. If you make the movie cats, just, just get rid of the Oscar for that guy. All right. So Tom Hooper, he's out of, he's out of contention. <laughs> he directed go, cats. He directed cats. And that's all I need aye, to know aye, about aye. Tom Hooper. Oh yeah. Yeah. So let's jump over to my nominations really quickly. I'm sure we'll revisit Tom Hooper in a moment. My nominations for director were, I've got Denis Villeneuve for Incendies. I've got Chris Nolan for Inception. I've got Kim Ji-Woon for I Saw the Devil. I've got Edgar Wright for Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. There it is. I've got David Fincher for The Social Network. I have bounced between Fincher, Nolan, and Edgar Wright over and over and over for all the days. And I was certain... Adam, that you were going to pick Fincher, and I thought, okay, I won't even waste my time with Fincher. And now I'm a little concerned, but I'm going to stick to my guns. Edgar Wright is my pick for Best Director of the Year. And the reason why I say that is, kind of like you just said, Adam, where you sort of rank writing, directing, acting, I think someone else could have made The Social Network and made it very well. Maybe not as well as David Fincher, but I think somebody could have made The Social Network very well because it was so reliant on the Aaron Sorkin screenplay. I think that somebody could have don't say it. Don't say this. Don't say this. Somebody possibly could have come up with some of the creation of Inception on the screen Ugh. if Nolan was behind behind the scenes a little more doing some stuff. No one else on planet Earth, living or dead, could have created Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and transformed a comic book in the way that he did. Edgar Wright, for me, is 
is so singular in what he did, did with Scott Pilgrim that I don't, it still baffles me every time I watch that movie, the amount of things that, that happen in there that I can't process how somebody takes something from bookshelf to screen and, and, and makes it so seamlessly work. And it's obviously created this huge cult following. Edgar Wright is my pick for Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Come at me. Uh, yeah. Um, do you want me to get my nominees? Or yeah, yeah please give, to, give me your nominees you and then we'll open Scott, it up. Scott Pilgrim in the world. Give me my nominees first. Okay. Yeah, go for so, it. So this is, look at look at the drama play out here. So now, in order for David Fincher to even make the poll. It's all on you. I have to select him. So we could be putting out a 2010s poll without David Fincher. That's here. how this it goes. Funny. Yeah. So it's all in my hands now, Adam. How do you feel about that? Let's see if I, who's, let's see if he's playing nice or not. I don't feel well. I'll tell you that. Okay. So here are my nominees. And I, for the record, I have everything here written down. So I'm not changing anything. This is what I came into the, to the party to play with. So my nominees for best director are Darren Aronofsky for the black swan, Christopher Nolan for inception, Tom Hooper, for The King's Speech, Danny Boyle for 127 Hours, and David Fincher for The Social Network. So those are my five. I'm sweating a little bit, worrying about what's about to come out of your mouth, Karen. Yes, uh, and uh, my selection for Best Director this year is indeed David Fincher for The wow. Social Network. Uh, I, I think, I, I kind of, I disagree a bit with you, Adam, in the sense that directing was the least important part of those three factors. I actually thought it was the most. Uh, I had the uh, the direction, because we've seen a million of these Aaron Sorkin movies that are not visually uh, enticing. And uh, to me, the implication of the score is the most essential part of this. And Darren Aronofsky's relationship with uh, with uh, Reznor and, and Finch, um, or Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor, uh, is such an important part of this movie. Uh, I, I think he he, he flawlessly, flawlessly, uh, Fincher flawlessly directs this thing. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I think this was this was a pretty distinct miss this year for the Academy that Fincher should have should have taken this one home. Where do you stand on who on Tom Hooper in general? Yeah, I, I think that his the work that he does in the King's Speech is massively underrated uh, i think it's a really well directed film uh the camera work uh the the the, the staging the blocking the whole the whole movie really kind of looks so much more than your generic your generic uh period piece i gotta be honest beyond the king's speech i haven't seen a ton of his work i, I haven't seen the les mis uh remake i haven't Ooh. seen uh i haven't seen john adams uh so there are a few things out there that i haven't seen of his so um, I, I know probably Cats is the one that they're all going to pin him on, but um, to me, this, his work in this movie stands alone. All right. Well, before we get over to Adam on Tom Hooper, where do you stand on Scott Pilgrim? I'm, I've been dying to hear this. We, we wouldn't even have to get to Scott Pilgrim necessarily, maybe until picture, but where do you stand on Edgar, Edgar Wright's direction of Scott Pilgrim? I found Scott Pilgrim to be completely annoying. Uh, the movie was uh, visually and audi audibly offensive to me. Uh, I, I had a headache that formed around minute 30 and it just, it kept growing and growing as the movie went on. Uh, that type of movie is just not going to be for me, you know, uh, like a ready player one where it's just with all this visual hoopla on the screen. And, you know, I don't think I 
laughed or cracked a smile once during the entire movie. Uh, I'm sorry to be mean, but I, I gave it a fair chance. And I was, other than you know being stunned by the uh, elite uh, ladies of of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, because there's certainly are uh, elite female cast in that. Uh, the movie just did not didn't didn't do it for me personally. I, I was always worried; it never felt like a quote unquote Kieran movie to me. But uh, I appreciate you giving it a fair chance for sure. I'm going to tag in right here, and uh, and I think I might be turning on corns here. This might be a, a little WWE heel turn here. I, I do not care for this movie at all. I I cannot stand the movies that. And this is sounding weird coming from me. The comic book movies that have like the the blam and the pow and on the screen and they're like lighting up like a pinball machine. I, I just think that's not good. I think, and, and and honestly, I didn't find the movie funny either, except when Michael Sarah is allowed to cook the few times he is, cause he is just a brilliant actor, but the, the scripted stuff, I just did not find funny. Yeah. I, I gotta go with Kieran here on this one. I, I don't, uh, I don't like that movie to be honest. That's why I, that's why I definitely had to stick to my guns and defend Edgar. I'm a big fan of Edgar Wright, uh, all of his stuff, and, and Scott Pilgrim just you know strikes the right chord for me. Adam, where do you stand on Tom Hooper in general? His work on the King's Speech. Uh, I mean, Les Mis is much better, uh, in my opinion. I, I very much love Les Mis, but this this movie is just boring to me, man. Like it, he made a really boring movie, in my opinion, and some people love it, and that's fine. But I'm just. I don't know. I don't think, I mean, I nominated him to, you know, cause he did win it. So I felt like I should probably recognize him. It is a well-made movie. Like I'm not going to shit on the movie itself. It's a, it's a, it's a well-made movie. It's just not a, not an Adam movie for sure. Does it surprise any of you that none of us put Marty Scorsese for Shutter Island or was he even in the conversation in your rankings? Where do you stand on, on Scorsese and Shutter? Uh, he was not for me. Uh, I, I don't, think the direction in that movie is the was one of the shining part. I think he came onto the project kind of late. He even somewhat denounces the movie now, which I don't like when when actors and directors do that stuff. Uh, to me, it's up to the audience to decide whether it's worthwhile or not. I, who cares that you don't consider it one of your great movies or whatever? Uh, but no, I, I didn't. I didn't have him in the mix there. I, I think like David O. Russell might have been my my last cut there, but I, I didn't feel bad at all about keeping him out of that he was my first cut i considered him um but ultimately i i thought the other five did a better job i'm kind of curious about danny boyle i yeah. i didn't feel like the directing was that i feel like the director i don't want to say is meaningless because they're not but like it really just depends on franco like there's there's not a lot of direction i feel like going on there it's just franco act your uh, ass off yeah, I couldn't disagree more. I mean, to me, the camera work is is, is essential component of that movie, and yeah. and making that space work, and to to the point where it it remains visually interesting, uh, to to allow the audience to feel the claustrophobia that that can't just come from the actor. That has to come from the camera angles and the um, the vibe and the mood, and you know, just the it, just when when the rock first falls and it's, huh, you know to, the removing yeah. all the sound, removing all the score, little decisions like that. I I think this is quietly one of Danny Boyle's best directed films. Um and and just again I went back on uh on Fincher with with Reznor and Ross. Uh the the score in this movie is really good. The the application of music and uh I, I, to me that's always the director's touch there. 
along with uh, A.R. Rahman, who, who did the music for Slumdog and who did the music also for 127 Hours. Yeah, no, I, I, was, ha- I was pretty surprised he wasn't nominated uh, back then. So I was happy to get him in there. I don't know. Where, where do you stand, Andrew? I don't think anyone else could have made that film the way uh, the, the way Danny Boyle did. There's such a frenetic energy to his film, Slumdog, Train Spotting. To me, this had a lot of Train Spotting vibes in terms mm. of the, the quick cuts, the the soundtrack, just everything about the way the movie went reminded me of Train Spotting in a lot of ways. Just the the claustrophobic nature of of Franco. I thought Danny Boyle directed it really well. He wasn't necessarily at the very top of my cut line. My the the first person out of the cut for me was Derek Chien France for Blue Valentine. I thought that he did quite a lot in that in that film um, to direct what Michelle and and Ryan were doing in front of the screen and everything. I'm not as high on Scorsese and Shutter Island as, as I'm not. I'm with you guys. I'm not big on it. It doesn't feel like a Scorsese movie to me, for the exact reason Kieran kind of touched upon. It he came in late. It's not really. It doesn't have his fingerprints all over it the way a lot of his work does. So I, I don't love that that directing performance necessarily. So you think someone else could have made Inception, but someone else could not have made 127 Hours? You high? What? <laughs> I'm just here to defend Edgar. That's all I'm here for. I I I, I didn't jive with that. Uh, with that, someone else could have done Inception thing too. That was that was a little. Maybe his brother. Maybe Jonathan could have. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I forgot to mention in defending David Fincher is the ability to cut around Justin Timberlake's horrific acting is a is a big skill there too for a director. So Adam, where do you stand on Timberlake? I mean, I like Timberlake generally. Are there moments in this movie that it's a little rough? Sure. But I don't know. I mean, I, I think he's fine. And I and he delivers the line of the movie for me that I'm gonna touch on in a little, another category. But uh I, I think he's I think he's fine. I don't think he's Oscar worthy, but something tells me when we get to the social media polls, it's really gonna come down to you two guys. I'm I'm not gonna be super surprised if any of the votes go anywhere uh for me in the Academy. So to recap, the Academy has Tom Hooper as the best director. Adam has Christopher Nolan for Inception. I have Edgar Wright for Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Of course I do. And Kieran has David Fincher for The Social Network. So those will be your choices for the online poll when we get to best director. We are now going to get over to the big meaty one, best picture. The nominees for best picture in 2010 were Black Swan, The Fighter, Inception, the Kids Are All Right, 127 Hours, The Social Network, Toy Story 3, True Grit, Winter's Bone, and the winner, The King's Speech. This was a year with 10 nominees, so you guys are welcome to pick anywhere between 5 and 10 nominees, depending on how many you deem worthy of a spot. Now, the Academy defines the award as the film judged to be the absolute best cinematic achievement of the year. Now, if you ask me, that leaves it open to a little bit of interpretation. And because we obviously all apply different factors for what we think makes a best picture, it's probably going to help if we explain a little bit about what goes into each of our selections. Kieran, you're obviously our esteemed guest, so we're going to let you go first on this one. I'm curious, before we get to your nominees and your win, what criteria do you factor into deciding on a best picture in a given year? To me... The best picture is the is the film that incorporates every aspect of filmmaking in its most complete form. It it takes the acting, it takes the direction, uh, the presentation, uh, the the setting, uh, the vibe, the script. Everything incorporates it and encapsulates it in the most complete film amongst the competitors. So, 
it might not be a complete film, but it might be more complete than the movies that it's going up against. So that sort of thing would change from year to year. But I, I, I think this is where some Nietzsche genre type of films may get hurt a little bit in my estimation, because to be complete, you have to be more than just executing within one specific construct or one specific vision. It's to complete the task. So uh, that is speaking in some generalities, but that's the best way that I can explain it and how I choose it. Okay. Well, with that explanation, why don't you give us your nominees and ultimately your best picture for 2010? Sure. My 10 nominees for best picture in the year 2010 are Black Swan, Blue Valentine, The Fighter, Inception, The Kids Are All Right, The King's Speech, 127 Hours, Shutter Island, The Social Network, and Toy Story 3. And my winner for Best Picture, the best picture of 2010, it would be Tom Hooper's The King's Speech. Uh, To me, The King's Speech and, you know, I... Listen, you can throw the boring word out there. Uh, It is, at the end of the day, a period piece, which is going to turn off some people. Uh, So a little bit of a a knock on it there. But to me, this is not your average biopic. This isn't your average, uh, let's go back to old England and play dress up. This is a human story. And it's a human story that deals with, with layered themes of imposter syndrome, uh, being forced into um, duty or being called into duty in an area where uh, you're the you're 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 weakest on the inside. Uh, it's about family. It's about love, um, and it's carried by three completely wonderful performances in Jeffrey Rush, Helena Bonham Carter, and Colin Firth. Slick directing from Tom Hooper, uh, and to me, this is a this is a, a, of all ten of the films that I put out, this is the most complete in incorporating themes, performances, visuals, uh, and just an, an overall vibe and message. And it, it is, it hurts me that this movie gets remembered with such disdain because of uh, who it was up against. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to be a backer for the King's speech here today. I can't say I'm surprised. I was curious which way you were going to go. Obviously, one of the reasons we had you on this particular episode, and I know this year was kind of important to you, is I think you're a big fan of the King's Speech. You always have been um, in in conversations privately. So I I had a feeling you were going to lean that way, but I thought maybe Inception might sway you, maybe the social network. But something told me you were probably going to go King's Speech. Inception was my 10th place film. Okay, we're we're definitely going to circle the spectrum on that one for sure. So for, for me personally, when we talk about best picture, I think the only way you can really define a best picture is you have to wait several years, which is the whole genesis of this podcast. I think you have to see how a movie really resonates with audiences, how it influences other artists, how it ultimately settles into its place in culture over time. I don't think a best picture can can be decided after it's been released for eight or 12 weeks, and it's basically just getting a campaign push. I think it really needs that time to sit, soak, settle into our culture, the zeitgeist, and see where it lands. It's obviously hard to define that, and I think there's you know not a real tangible metric to put to it. So obviously, I've got my own element of a personal gut feeling to that as well. So I've tried to apply everything, personal feelings towards the film, 
where I see it resonate with culture? Do I, do I hear people talking about it 10, 15, 20 years down the road? So I think there's a lot that goes into best picture for me. For my money, I think 2010 remains one of the best, perhaps the deepest years of the entire 21st century, top to bottom, all the films we've talked about. Uh, because of that, it was very easy for me to come up with all 10 available spots for my nominees. Those picks for, for best picture nominees for me are Black Swan, Blue Valentine, Incendies, Inception, I Saw the Devil, Never Let Me Go, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, Shutter Island, The Social Network, and Toy Story 3. This really came down to three movies for me, and I've, I've been bouncing back and forth, and I, I really didn't lock in my picks until this morning, to be honest with you. The three choices for me that it came down to, it came down to Toy Story 3, probably going to be a little bit of a surprise for you. Also Inception, and then The Social Network. At the end of the day, though, I felt between all the feedback that we got online, my own personal feeling on the film, the best movie 13 years later is Inception for me. I think it's just so well-crafted. Every single category, the acting strong, the direction is strong, everything technically behind the scenes with it. It's a really impressive film that has kind of kick-started this whole wave of Chris Nolan just making unbelievable heady things with his work. So for me, Inception still kind of remains his, his defining film for a lot of people and, and for me as well. So Inception's my pick best picture 2010. All right. Um, so when I do this, I look at a, a rich tapestry of, uh, of factors here that I go into it. I look at the, the film itself. So the three areas that I talked about earlier, so the acting, directing, and writing got to be great across the, you know, at least a great average across the three. But I also look at the, uh, the social imprint that it has. Is it significant? Is it important to that year? Was it, I don't want to say like, I'm not saying just like, was it the best box office hit? Cause that doesn't always mean it's great, but was it a big movie that people were talking about? People were excited about. Was it a thing that also matters to me greatly, which is why this year, I think Barbie absolutely deserves to be nominated, even though I don't think it's an Oscar movie. It should be nominated because it was just, it's huge. It's a thing. So there's going to be one movie that I nominate that you guys are going to roll your eyes. So just kind of a fair warning here. Um, but I, I did get 10. So I have The Black Swan, The Fighter, and here we go. I have Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1, Inception, The King's Speech, Shutter Island. The Social Network, The Town, Toy Story 3, and 127 Hours. Um, and, I, and I'm sure the Harry Potter one's going to get the eye rolls. To me, that's the best one of the eight, is is Hallows Part 1. I think it was a an, an exceptional movie in that franchise in terms of cinematography, in terms of acting, in, in terms of what they did. You know, they they really stepped up the acting, I thought, from kids to adults in that movie. And it was huge. I mean, Harry Potter was a phenomenon. So that's why I nominated that one. Um, it came down much like Andrew, the same three that I had for the top three inception, toy story three and the social network toy story three. I don't think I've ever cried as hard in a movie in my life as toy story three, but in the end I had to go the social network. I think this for my money is the best movie of the 21st century, not just this year. The line I was referencing earlier about Justin Timberlake, a million isn't cool. You know, what's cool. A billion I think is the thesis of the movie. 
because it was able to accurately predict where social media was going at the apex of social media. In 2010, Facebook was the shit. I mean, everyone was on it. Everyone was so excited about it before old people ruined it. It, it, it was such a huge thing. But that movie accurately predicted through Eisenberg, the more friends you have, the more lonely you are, the more depressed you are, the more sad you are because you're just seeing, oh, they're doing this. Why am I not on vacation right now? Why, do I, why am I adopting a dog right now? Why don't I have a girlfriend right now? Like the more friends you accumulate on social media, the less friends you actually have in real life. And that movie was able to accurately predict that. Um, so I think it's the most prescient movie maybe ever, or at least in a long time because of that. And I think it's clearly the best movie of 2010. Kieran, where do you stand on how, how has the social network aged 13 years on in your estimation? Oddly, oddly. I do like what Adam said there though, uh, because it, we're still living it, but it, it's kind of shifted over to like an Instagram, TikTok type of thing, I guess. Uh, so I do like Adam's words there on that. And they, they do, uh, they do translate in the theme of it. I, the movie to me is, is kind of absent of a third act though. It's a, it's a two act story waiting for the third act and they just kind of run down the state of affairs where they're at in 2010. So I, the movie feels incomplete to me, like, which is where I could, I could reward it in its directing. But as far as picture, it, it falls a little short. So I, I know that this is the, the, the one that people go after. I'm sure there's probably a lot of Nolan heads that, that are mad about Inception too. But it seems like Social Network is the one that the internet is, is upset about when it comes to the King's speech. But I think as time passes, I, don't, I just don't know how well the Social Network will age either. I guess we'll see, and and maybe it its message transforms as the different platforms transform to Adam, as as you said there. Uh, and it is a, a it's a fun movie. It's it's an easy movie to watch, and it's a rewarding movie to watch. So I, I I to me I don't feel bad at all about it not winning Best Picture though. I really don't. I know I know I'm alone. Karen, I'm curious if the King's Speech wasn't your winner, what's right there at number two for you? A, a movie that you guys did not include in your nominations in 127 hours uh, would have been my runner up there. I had it. Oh, you did. Oh, you did. Okay. You put it at the end. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do want to ask this is no one had true grit on there. I noticed. I thought I was going to be the shit heel by not including it here. So uh, <laughs> I, I feel a little good about that. I, I think, and I, this is a question I had for you guys and I didn't know if we were going to get around to it. I don't know where you stand on the nature of remakes and the idea of, of them sort of being able to, you know, kind of stand on their own versus they're basically living off of something else. I thought True Grit was a good film, but it didn't do enough to sort of stand alone the way some of these other films did. So I, I don't have True Grit as this great film because, you know, it's it's basically running off of a, a, a previous blueprint. Yeah, it's it's completely just the movie redone. I mean, it's not, you know, I, I, I have a, a lot of problems with that, that we could just take a movie... That, that won a significant award too. It won, it was John Wayne's lead acting win, you know? So it's that be like someone taking color of money and just redoing it in 2025. It's like, why, 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 why did you do that? And I get, listen, the, the Coen brothers certainly add their touch to it. And I like the movie. I enjoy watching it, but I, no, no. And did anyone, no one had bridges in the, did anyone have bridges in best actor? No one did either. All right. So you guys are, you guys are on the same page with me in that. I thought I was yeah. going to be very much alone there. Now I, I do. I did. 
The Departed is one that as a movie I love and as a movie I consider a good best picture win. I went and I had to watch Infernal uh, Affairs just to so I don't cross the streams with my takes here. Uh, Scorsese and Leo and Jack do so much more to add to that movie. That's not just a, a redone movie uh, in in uh, in English. You know, to me, that's they take some pieces of it. And but here, here's another one, you know, speaking of remakes, and I, I'm pretty sure you guys are both as big a fan as I am of this film, though. I don't know where I will ultimately stand when we get to this year. How do you guys feel about A Star is Born, which is effectively a third version of a film? Obviously, I love Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga's performances, but I don't know if I'm going to ultimately side on it being a Best Picture winner because of what we've just sort of talked about. Yeah, you checkmated me there on that one because I do love that film. It's one of my favorites. I know. Um, it's, it's a wonderful movie. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad I'm not on that episode because because I might I, I might be challenged to not pick that because I really do love that film. But I think that and I haven't seen all of the other Stars Born, so I guess I probably have to do that before I fully form an opinion here on this. But to me, that movie is about the performances and the connection between those two and the music. And I don't know that the plot matters. And the plot is that plot has been redone a thousand times. It's, it's you know something like Black Swan is just redoing all about Eve. You know, it's a, it's but that type of of plate line is going to be there in storytelling. And it's what you do with the story. And to me, Departed, Star is Born, the many types of films that, that have, have redone that All About Eve. Yeah, it, it's, it's about the style. It's, it doesn't, it's, it's not just about the plot. To me, True Grit is very plot heavy. And it's really just the movie done with different camera work. And it's, it's nowhere near the Coen's best work. I mean, when I think of the Coen brothers, True Grit never even enters my mind most of the time. I don't know about you guys. No. I mean, True Grit, eh, it's fine. I mean, I'm not a big Western guy anyway, so like it, that movie didn't really sing to me. Um, as far as remakes, I, I, I disagree with Kieran. I, don't, I think people are too protective of this stuff. I mean, when was the first True Grit made? What year was that? 69, maybe, right? Okay, yeah. I mean, we're 60 years. I mean... Yeah, but, but my point out of it is it's the same movie. You, if you turn it on, you'd be like, oh, geez, this is the same exact movie. Like, it's there's nothing different. Like, that yeah. courtroom scene is line for line the same. I scene. guess, but I'm also like like the West Side Story remake. You know, most people think the original's better. Sure. It probably It probably is, but, like, kids watch the new one, and they're like, oh, this is really good, and it gets them to go back and watch the old stuff. Like, I think remakes just get people to go back and watch the old one, whether they like the new one or not. If they really like it, they're going to be like, oh, I want to check out what the first one was. If they hate it, they're going to be like, well, is the other one better? And I think that people are just way too protective of this stuff. They're 70-year-old movies. Get over it and remake them. Who cares? All right. I, I can I can get with that. But we don't need to nominate them for Best Picture. Sure. I mean, like... I didn't. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you guys there. Like, I, I, can, I can enjoy Spielberg's West Side Story as a really good film. But I'm never in my wildest dreams going to put it in a Best Picture category. I mean, it's just... Yeah. Oh, well, I mean... It's it's kind of late. It's kind of lazy of Spielberg to to make that movie. Honestly, you know, totally. Well, when we get to twenty twenty two, we'll see or twenty twenty one. We'll see if we'll see if I uh, put it in there because I will. I d <laughs> I do want to say because I did not have the King speech in in one of my ten nominations, um, and it's not that I hate the King speech. I actually think the King speech is a, a great movie. I just think because the nature of how strong I consider this year. And I wanted to kind of give some some opportunities for some international films to get some some love, like in Sendai's and I saw the devil. The one thing about the King speech that 
I don't think has held up as I watched it again is I think the crown has done a much better job of dealing with obviously a larger period of time, but it even dealt with that period of time with, with the King and, and his daughter and the, the speech impediment a little bit, not obviously as fleshed out as the King's speech, but I just thought the crown did a superior job of, of tackling that issue and, and some of that stuff to where the King's speech to me doesn't feel like it has aged in culture the way some of these other films have. I mean, I don't see a lot of people going back and talking about the King's speech because I just, I think it's, it's gotten lost in the shuffle because it's a good, great movie maybe, but it's not a, a masterpiece or, or in my estimation, a best picture personally. Yeah. I, I don't think to me, the history lesson of it all doesn't really matter for that movie to, to me. It's about the, the human, the human part of it and the family part of it and, and him with his wife and with his kids and with his coach and, Jeffrey Rush's character is a great character uh, and and what he's dealing with and the two and the bond, the two of them built the crown is a little, you know, I don't watch the crown, but it's a little closer to telling the story of it. So yeah. It, and you know, television can also achieve a lot more than a movie can in, in 120 minutes. You know, you said you have inception at 10 on your power rankings for best picture. I was close to excluding it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So let, let's unpack that a little bit. I mean, what what had it so close to being on the bubble? You just didn't get it? When I said, oh, we only got it. Oh, yeah, so smart, so smart. Um, so when I say it was 10, as, that's not to say that it's ranked 10th, because I think there are certain movies that I chose that I like them being on the list representing their specific types of genres, like The Kids Are All Right, which I don't think either of you had on there. I did not. I'm a big fan of the movie, but I, I didn't have it up that high. Yeah. Toy Story 3. You know, I like the fact that it's it's in there representing uh, animation. Um, to be Inception is, is it's more of a production than a, a real story, a, a real tale, a real, um, <laughs> you know, uh, entity. It's just kind of a big, loud show. And I appreciate the filmmaking and I think it has its level of importance which is why I ultimately went with it uh, over True Grit, um, and yeah, I don't think I don't think picking it to win is outrageous at all because it is, you know, it, it is a big star-studded event, and those types of things, uh, given the year, can can be a somewhat acceptable choice. But I, I you know, I, I don't think it's nearly as clever as it thinks it is. Uh, I think that Ooh. there's parts of it that just don't make sense and are using smoke and mirrors or, or if you go back to his, his movie, the prestige, you know, the, a magic trick to make people feel as if they're entertained. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think the movie is, is ultimately a little bit up its own behind, but you know, I like that. I like that you guys like it. I like that you guys like it. I'll say, I'll say, and I'll let Adam also jump in to, to defend inception. If he wants to, the thing that really changed for me, as we did this run up, I thought for sure the social network was going to actually be my pick it for, for the longest time. That has been kind of the movie I thought sort of, I thought it had the right place in culture and it obviously hit a moment in time, but fatherhood has sort of shifted perspective for me. And I think the watching inception as a father changed the whole dynamic with the kind of like you're talking about with the King speech. It's not really about the, the history. It's about the, the people and what inception kind of unlocked for me on this most recent watch is it's about Leo's character trying to connect with his, get back to his kids ultimately and connect with them. And the whole 
you know, top spinning end that everyone debates endlessly. It's really the whole point of it is it doesn't matter. All he wants to do is be with his kids and that's enough for him. And that that sort of end has resonated with me in a way as as a father that it never did before I had children. And I think that's really the one point that put this movie above everything else for me is I actually thought Nolan hit a lot of thematic elements, even if some of the uh, some of the storytelling in the dream worlds is a little clunky to me. It's not it's not totally perfect, but I think there's enough thematically for me that works. Inception uh, just kind of it notched up above social network for me over the last rewatch. Um, I don't have a ton to defend Inception. Um, I think Corn's Corn Dog nailed it. Kieran, you mentioned the social network that the third act kind of falls apart. Does it matter to you at all with Inception? Did that ending impact you in any way that it's like an incomplete ending? It's kind of up in the air. Does that matter to you at all? No, I, I like a um, I like a sometimes if it's if it's placed properly uh, an, an ambiguous okay. ending, and I don't have issues with the ending there, and. I, I think that the third act in social network doesn't exist. Like it's not even there. Like it just goes second act and oh, the movie's over. Sure. Uh, yeah. So that's not that there was, there was a, an ambiguous ending there. They just didn't, there was no end. It was still going on. Yes. So it was just like, all right, that's, this is it. Okay. All right. And I think that, that, it, that interferes with my ability to truly uh, anoint it as a, a classic. Sure. You know, I think it's a little incomplete. Okay. I feel like I'm the shit deal, though. Blue Valentine. I feel like you guys are much higher on that movie than I am. Uh, it was my first cut for Best Picture. Um, I just, I think it's a good movie, but uh, maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm not old enough. Maybe I haven't been through the, the wars enough to, to appreciate this movie. I don't know. What, what am I missing here? For me personally, Blue Valentine's a 10 out of 10 movie. I think it is one of the most heart-wrenching Kind of at the end, for me, it's an uplifting end, even though I don't think that makes a lot of sense for a lot of people that watch it, but that's what I take away from it. I think there's so much real human relationship and romance in that film that is so much of Hollywood is about this sort of fake romance and fake narratives and, and the way people fall in love. Blue Valentine is how people really fall in love and really fall out of love and the relationships that you know, the, the little cracks that start withering away at relationships. Blue Valentine hits a, the right note for me in a way not a lot of films in that genre ever have. Yeah, I I mean, I I go on but I would do a lot of repeating of what you just said. Uh, I was completely floored by the film. It was a first time watch for me. I would have loved to dislike it and and, and rub it in Joey R's face, but uh that's not how it works. <laughs> um no, I I really loved both the leads performances were uh just just flooring. Uh the movie the movie is, is something special, but you know, this type of movie is not going to be for everybody. I also think I, what what really impressed me and why I almost nominated Chi in France, the director, is originally his plan was to do two separate films in the two different timelines of Blue Valentine. And I don't think that would have worked as well. I actually like the way he spliced it together and you kind of jump back and forth. Um, you didn't have to see every element of that relationship devolving to understand everything that was happening. And I just, I love the way he made that movie come together. Okay. Yeah. All right. Kids are all right. All right, Adam. Did you were you able to get around and see it? Or I have not seen that one. Okay, I've heard great things about it. That's Annette Bening, right? Is that that one? Yeah, Annette Bening, Julianne Moore, Mark Ruffalo. Really fun. And I'm not a Mark Ruffalo guy either. I'm I'm, I'm very much not a Mark Ruffalo guy. But he, he's. I think that's his best performance of his career. It's just a, it's it's a fun, easy to watch movie. It's a comedy. It's five different perspectives of an extremely 
unique situation and a, a not everyday situation to deal with. And they do a nice job of taking the five perspectives and m mashing them together. So I'll throw out a really quick hot take. And I'm curious where you guys stand on this. I think had Toy Story 4 not existed, Toy Story 3 might be my best picture this year. But I actually think the fact that they made a fourth film kind of undermined the ending of Toy Story 3, which is maybe the most poignant ending of any film, out, even outside of animation. The way that Toy Story 3 ends that trilogy, I thought was absolutely perfect and 100% paid off everything. And then they made a fourth film that I didn't love as much as, as the other three. And so it's hard for me to look at three the same way, knowing there's a sequel to it. But if Toy Story 3 was the culmination of the Toy Story trilogy, that might actually be my best picture this year. I'm 100% on board with that, outside of it almost being best picture. <laughs> I think Toy Story 4 completely undermined uh, what, what this movie accomplished and should not have been made. Uh, but I agree with you there, Corn. so seconding that. I mean, I agree that it takes away a little bit from the ending. I agree with that. I like Toy Story 4, and I'm, I'm the type of person that, like, just keep making them. Who cares? Like, Tom Hanks and Tim Allen will be around forever. Make them until they're gone. I mean, if they just stopped at three, I would have been fine. And I still think even moving past it, I think it's one of the best trilogies, if not the best trilogy ever made. I, I had it second in my, on, on this Toy Story 3. I think it's a damn near perfect film. But like I've said, I think on our animated uh, movie Madness pod, I mean, I, I grew up with these movies. I was born the year Toy Story came out. I watched Toy Story 3 the year I went to college. Like, it just, like I went on that whole journey with Andy. So that's, all, that's always going to be a, a special place for me. Well, before we kind of wrap up this category, does anyone else have any other films they want to discuss really quickly? Maybe things that didn't get in that you were on the fence on, anything that, you know, you, you took offense to somebody else's pick, kind of last chance to, to wrap up any films you want to talk about, any performances? Yeah, what did you guys, uh, I didn't get too many eye rolls for the Harry Potter thing, or maybe you just kept them internally, like what are your, how, how mad are you at me for putting that in? If it was your number two choice, behind social network i might have a problem with it but it was definitely 10th on the list okay i i i think adam i think over the next year you're gonna have a lot of picks like this yeah i think it's important to know that it's okay to like movies that do well and are part of ip and are part of franchises and sometimes the oscars take themselves a little too seriously and sometimes cinephiles myself included take things a little too seriously but I think it's okay to let the Top Gun Mavericks of the world and these big, the avatars of the world, even though they're not my cup of tea, I think there's, there's no problem with them being in a best picture category. Barbie, for instance, I think if a movie does well and there's a lot of people that are behind it and a big fan base behind it, I, I don't have a huge problem with it being in, in the conversation, at least. Top Gun Maverick is not IP, okay? That is a film. That is a film, okay? Uh, no, I, the Harry Potter one. I've never seen one second of any Harry Potter movie, so... That's bad. But yeah, putting it in there to if you feel it's the best one of the entire franchise and encapsulates the year, that's, you know, it's there's 10 slots so you can do something like just to give some love, some movies that we didn't talk about that I thought were good this year, Despicable Me came out. Um started a huge thing. Uh we got uh Wall Street Money Never Sleeps. I like that sequel. Uh, might be alone on that. I like Shia LaBeouf. You're alone on that one. And then what else we got? Iron Man 2, Kieran's favorite uh, Marvel movie, came out this year. Um, so... <laughs> no. And Grown Ups, our, the movie that spawned the uh, the rivalry between me and RDB, Grown Ups. All right. G go on a Grown Ups rant. You got time. 
this is a fantastic i don't understand why people hate this movie like what like do people think it was supposed to be an oscars movie like it's just a fun movie i don't understand it's five guys that are great friends they're just shooting the shit for 90 minutes and it's fantastic like i don't i don't get why people hate it i hate grown-ups why it's just I don't know. There's there's a million other comedies I would watch any day of the week over it. Like like I saw it once and that's enough. Ugh. 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 Never seen it, so can't help. I, I've got one movie I want to want to mention. It it almost made my best picture contention, but it was really just because of personal preference as opposed to me necessarily thinking it's a best picture worthy movie. And I know you, Kieran, you're definitely going to roll your eyes at me. Kick ass. I uh, yeah, I know. I, I love what Matthew Vaughn did to subvert <laughs> the superhero genre by by sort of turning it on its head. I think it's really clever. It's got a good screenplay. It's got some cool stuff in front of the screen. Aaron, Aaron Taylor Johnson's excellent in it, in my opinion. Even got a really cool Nicolas Cage performance that kind of revitalized his career. So I, I'm a big Kick-Ass fan. Yeah, I like that one. Just a really good year in film. I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed going back to this year to see 10 Best Picture nominees like that that, you know, they really kind of they got it this year to for me. Uh, it, 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 man, I I just saw a lot of films in this uh, in doing this project that just were just trying to tell their own story. There was no pretense. There was no ulterior motives. It was just hey, we're just you know we're making this film because this is the film we we believe we want to make. Whether that's a Blue Valentine or a Toy Story three or an Inception or a Black Swan, they're all just they all kind of occupied their own separate space, and we're not trying to do anything baity or, or anything like that I, I it's a wonderful year in film so when the social media poll goes up there will be three options that people can put into the almanac for best picture they've got the king speech they've got inception and then they've got the social network the king speech was the oscars pick and kieran's pick i took inception and adam's got the social network so we'll see where that falls on the spectrum when we get to the voting polls all right, well, we do have two specific questions that were brought to us uh, yesterday by Kieran, your good friend, Joey R. over at Best Picture Cast. Also, 1,001 by one. Oh, Christ. Promised Joey that I would read both <laughs> questions. He said I could only do them if they were both in there, so here they are. So his first question to the three of us is, fuck, Mary kill, Inception, The Social Network, and Blue Valentine. <laughs> so I will, uh, I will turn it over to Adam first on this one. Okay, I guess I'm gonna need some clarification here. Is is so kill? I assume is never watch it again. I suppose so. Joey didn't give me a ton of parameters, so make of it what you will. Marrying Blue Valentine seems like it could be problematic. I just want to say, that. yeah. And then and then fuck is is like you watch it once and then never again. Probably probably every every great once in a while, right? And then marry is you. Jesus, can you read them again? I was so concerned in the first part. <laughs> You've got Inception. The Social Network, and Blue Valentine. Well, definitely I'm killing Blue Valentine. That's easy. Jesus. Uh, I guess I would f- marry Social Network, and I would fuck Inception. In- Inception's just so heady. I don't know if I could do that forever. All right, Kieran, what about you? Which way do you fall on this? Uh, I'm unfortunately going to be putting down Inception. Uh, I'll probably... I'll have a I'll have my one night stand with uh, with Blue Valentine. I think, as much as I love that film, that kind of fits the parameters of something you can see once and move on from. And then I'll I'll uh, I'll go into a loveless marriage with a social network. Okay. 
And uh, for me, I'm going to say that I'm going to kill the social network. Wow. Not a Zuckerberg fan. And I just think, like Kieran said over and over again, the movie's not complete. It's missing a whole chunk of movie. So I'm going to kill social network. The chickens. Think about the chickens. I am going to uh, have my one night stand with Inception. Uh, it's a movie that I like going back. To. Yeah, it's, I like going back to it. Uh, but I also need some time away from it because it's so long and it's so heady. I'm actually going to marry Blue Valentine because I want to. I just want to live in a world with with Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams. I find them both so endearing as actors and people. Quite honestly, that I could just live in that world because it. it like I said, it's so lived into me. Uh, big fan of Blue Valentine, so I'll marry Blue Valentine and and take all the baggage that comes with that. And then our other question from Joey over at Best Picture Cast in 1001 by 1. Joey said, Hot Tub Time Machine sadly doesn't deserve Oscars love, but I do want you guys to talk about it. What are your top three comedies of 2010, and why is Hot Tub Time Machine number one? That came out this year? Oh my god, I didn't even realize that. I'm going to go over to Kieran first. Uh, your buddy over, over at BPC, Joey. Uh, what what comedies did stood out to you? I yeah, I have not seen Hot Tub Time Machine. Uh, you you uh, included the other guys uh, earlier on in this, Andrew. I like the other guys. Uh, I I dug the kids are all right. Um, you know, I guess that's a little more of a uh, a, a drama comedy. But um, am I, I? You might you guys might say one that I'm forgetting along the way here. Uh, but you know, I. I <laughs> I'll tell you what, a bunch of these movies had me cracking up, though. Um, I mean, I was I was laughing a lot during The Fighter. Uh, not a comedy, but was it? there was a lot of levity in it. I was laughing a lot during Toy Story 3. Man, Toy Story 3 is a funny movie. There's a lot of really good jokes in there. So, um, you know, the, the, this whole list of movies had me, had me smiling throughout most of this, this project. Uh, Animal Kingdom and... Uh, 127 hours, probably up there. <laughs> Um, no, uh, social network did make me laugh a lot with the chickens in particular. I, I, I find that so fucking funny. Um, I, I forgot how some time machine came out this year. That didn't even cross my mind for this thing. Uh, but I do like it. I do enjoy it. It's a great cast. Um, I saw it when I was probably 13, so I don't remember much about it, but I remember liking it a lot. I would say my top three comedies, uh, the other guys, easy a, and then fuck you RDB, uh, grownups. Definitely my favorite. I like Easy A also. Yeah, Easy A is definitely a good one. Uh, I'm a Hot Tub Time Machine fan, so um, Joey, good good choice there. It's definitely not one of my top three comedies of the year, but it's it's got some fun moments in it. For me, I've definitely talked about all three of them today. Scott Pilgrim, I know you guys weren't laughing at it, but it, it's it's right hits right in my funny bones. So that one, I'm definitely laughing at. The other guys, obviously, I think it's one of Will Ferrell's best best works in terms of the comedic genre. I think Mark Wahlberg's exceptional in that movie obviously i love michael keaton's work in there when they kill when they kill the rock and sam jackson at the beginning that was one of the most audible <laughs>, laughs i've ever heard in a theater uh, when i saw it in theaters and then the other one for me would be kick-ass i think it's a really cool subversive comedic take on a superhero film and i love the i love the cheekiness of that one so those would be my top three comedies that's going to do it for this recording but this is again only just the beginning now that we've got our picks in it will ultimately be up to you, the fans, to decide what goes into our almanac as the true winners. We're going to be putting up social media polls across all of our platforms in the coming days and need your votes to be cast. You can, of course, find us on Instagram, Twitter, Letterboxd, Threads, and Facebook at Rev Almanac. 
We will also have timestamps on each category in this particular episode, so you can go back and listen to a certain part again as you think about your vote, as well as a link to Kieran's Best Picture Podcast channel, which you should absolutely check out. Kieran, I know personally, and I'm sure Adam agrees, we can't thank you enough for being our first guest. Again, it was you were the first person that we that we checked that we wanted to have. You you were kind enough to be here. Please let the listeners know where they can find you and what the BPC crew has in store for 2024. I can't wait to hear about it. Absolutely. Well, again, you know, thank you for having me. It was an honor to be a part of this uh, this maiden voyage here for uh, Rev Almanac. Best Picture Cast, just how it sounds. You can find us on all the platforms at Best Picture Cast. We go through all the Best Picture winners. We deep dive them. We talk everything there is to talk. Episodes come out every other week. And we have a big year coming up. We're celebrating our fourth anniversary uh, at the beginning of February. Four years of of uh, our crazy characters over at Best Picture Cast doing these movies. Uh, I believe our anniversary episode will be The Hurt Locker, speaking of Jeremy Renner, uh, which has been a big year, a, a performance that I very much do like, by the way. So um, if I offended you with that take and some of the few that I've fired out there, you can you can DM me at any of those socials at Best Picture Cast. And I uh, will respond. And uh, we got a big year planned, 2020, uh, 2024 coming up. We're going to be launching a new sort of show, a monthly show, where me and Joey R, the aforementioned Joey R, uh, discuss some current events in the news, in the uh, movie news. Movie news, not not the real you scared news. scared me there. Um, just kind of go, yeah, k- uh, <laughs> kick, uh, kick around some things that are going on. We're leading up into the Oscars and uh, movie premieres, uh, certain certain events that, that go on in, in the 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 uh the cinema world so it's just gonna got a way to hear our voices uh monthly on on some of the new happenings because we spend so much time talking about as adam would put them uh old black and white silent films so we just try to be in the, in the now a little more so uh so you can look out for that and uh lots of other stuff too we got good good movies coming up because best picture case. can't wait to see what you guys do in 2024 it's again one of the best one of the absolute best oscars and movies podcasts out there uh, but anyone who listens knows knows what the deal is with BPC. Adam, co-host, but you also have a ton of other ventures going on out there with the Circuitverse. Let people know what's going on with the Circuitverse 2024, what's on the way. Yeah, well, I'm excited to be invited onto that podcast with Kieran and Joey R to get gaslit for a few months, telling me it's going to happen, and it never does. Uh, very excited for that. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know me too well. Right? Um, yeah, we are uh, over at the streaming circuit on Spotify and Apple and wherever you get your podcasts, but I recommend just the big two. Um, we do a lot of uh, brackets on that podcast. We do movie madness is what we call it. Kind of found our stride here. We do a whole bunch of genres. Both of you gentlemen have been on um, for madness episodes and uh, hopefully we'll be on again. Um, the next one we have is going to be, this is releasing in January. So uh, 2023 movie madness, the entire year with Joey R. So that'll be fun to see what bad movie he picks um, as the best movie. All that fun stuff. So come check us out on Spotify and Apple, the streaming circuit. Follow us on Twitter at the Circuitverse. Uh, do some sports stuff uh, on the website as well. So if you like sports, you can check that out as well. Yeah, and then after this episode, our very next episode of The Almanac is going to be on the 1998 Year in Review. And our guest on that one is going to be Tom Duncan over at the Greatest Movie of All Time podcast. Really looking forward to 19, 1998. That's the famous year Shakespeare in Love famously won that year, and we'll see if Shakespeare in Love can can find its way into the almanac. Thanks for being here, and we'll we'll see you next time.